Welcome to Living Hope Bible Church. For those of you who are new to Living Hope, we have two parts to our morning. We only do the welcome in the second uh, part of our, called the preaching service, uh, since more people generally come for the preaching hour. So you are welcome, but you will be formally welcome in the second hour. <clears throat> we begin a new study this morning. I'm going to ask um, Nate and Hudson, since you are closest. <coughs> yeah, just hand this out. It should be enough. <coughs> just some preliminary aspects. Um, Online, we have uploaded the syllabus. <clears throat> We've also given you a document to read. Um, it's uh, an introduction to biblical counseling by Joel James. That will be your reader for this class. Uh, we a- aim to end by the end of April, but there are, <clears throat> if you look at the syllabus online, there are at least three or four weeks that we don't have class due to the AGM being the end of this month and then uh, the Easter service um, in, in uh, April and then also we have a breaking of bread in between. <clears throat> so um, because of that, we will only end at the end of April. In the last class, uh, I normally leave the last class open for Q&A or if there's leftover, um, then I will finish it then. <clears throat> the Class notes are cumulative, which means that it will add on uh, to the previous lesson and it will keep on adding on. I'm not doing PowerPoints. There's way too much information for you to write down in PowerPoint form, so I thought I'll give you handouts instead. Um, I'm also a very um, old kind of teacher. I prefer people making notes than just sitting and looking. Uh, I asked last night for you to bring a pen, so if you didn't bring a pen, tough. Um, I also put the um, document in the, um, what's the group called? The, the signal group, church group. So you can share it from there if you use electronic devices. Uh, the reading is not required. Uh, this is not a seminary class. I will not be giving any quizzes. If you want a quiz, I can create a quiz. But... Um, there are those of you who are in Berean who are already doing quizzes, so I don't want to add to your, um, your workload. <laughs> also, it's going to be slightly different to what the guys in Berean are doing. They are focusing on uh, biblical counseling in the pastoral aspect. This is biblical counseling in the ecclesiastical aspect, in the church relationship aspect. Uh, there are some overlaps, as uh, some of them will pick up. <clears throat> those of you who are in Berean, I will be picking on you to give some definitions on some of the things that you have covered in your lessons. Some things to take note. Do not sit or come to this class. I don't know why you're looking at Hilton. (laughs) I can see you, I can't see him. Um, Do not come to this class hoping that your spouse, your brother, your sister, your daughter, your son was year to year. Try to apply the truths to your life. I do not want to see any nudging, Auntie Jean, or hinting 
Um, <laughs> concerning, I hope you are listening. <clears throat> right, so, um, Lord willing, at the end of every lesson, now, like I said, the notes are cumulative, so I won't finish uh, the, your handout today, and I don't intend to finish it. But at the end of every lesson, I will jump to the principle. So every, at the end of every lesson, I aim to have a principle that is geared towards giving us an understanding of how we ought to respond to certain aspects um, in counseling. Um, so there's going to be a lot of information. This time in our uh, meeting together as saints is conversational. Uh, so if you have any questions, you're welcome to do so. I do not expect... Um, hands up during the preaching hour. So if you want to ask me questions, you're welcome to do so right now. All right. Nothetic counseling. I do not define it this morning. I only come back next week and define it, but I'll give you a general overview of what it is, and then we're going to look at biblical support for um, the motive for biblical counseling. Next week I will correlate or compare biblical counseling to secular forms of counseling. Uh, those of you who have been exposed to uh, secular humanism or uh, uh, psychology or psychiatry, uh, I would encourage you to come back and try and work through some of the things that I will mention next week. <clears throat> All right. I think I need a copy of your notes because my page numbers are... Diff does, does everybody have? Are there any extras? Um... Okay, let me just look at the page. Just stay there, stay there. I'll okay, I'll be able to manage that. Uh, I will let you know where I am on on the um, in the notes based on the points that I will give you. So um, I don't have a bullet point or a number with regards to the introduction, but um, <clears throat> uh, let's begin. So. Biblical counseling, no theory counseling. Uh, so I'm just going to give you an overview of what it is, and then, uh, like I said, next week I will give you a little bit more information. For now, no theory counseling involves confrontation, loving concern, and expectation of change. So confrontation, concern, and change. When we counsel from the Bible, we are engaged in a unique process. This is unlike you will find in the world. This is something unique to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, there are different forms of quote-unquote biblical counseling. <clears throat> we are not subscribing to Christian counseling. Um, does anybody know, Berean guys, what the difference is between biblical counseling or authentic counseling and Christian counseling? <clears throat> Hilton's looking down, so Cameron, go ahead. What's it? So a um, Christian counseling, <clears throat> Christian counselor is somebody that has an e e um, eclectic approach or integrationist approach, approach to counseling where they take secular things that they think are good and employ it in counseling believers. We are not advocating that kind of counseling. We are looking at 
biblical counseling, and the word I'm using for biblical counseling is nothetic counseling, and it will make a little sense uh, uh, later on. Uh, biblical counseling is not an in autonomous ministry, meaning that you don't have an office at your home or an office outside of the church where you call people to your quote-unquote office and have a couch where they lie on and you are now counseling them. That is not what biblical or nothetic counseling is. It is not an autonomous ministry separate to church life. Counseling ought to be part and parcel of what it means to be part of a local assembly. Counseling or nothetic counseling is not an activity reserved for experts and I'll get back to that in a moment's time. Uh, Biblical counseling is not an optional ministry. It's not in your notes. So if you're looking for it, it's not in your notes. Um, Romans 15, 14 says that we are to admonish one another. That word there is to counsel one another. And I will explain that later on. The foundation for Christian counseling is Ephesians 4, verse 11. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave, that is God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitfulness. What is Paul speaking about here? Well, what he's speaking about is what God has given to the church for the equipping of the church, for the maturity of the church. There are certain gifts given to the church that will enable giftedness in um, that will enable the church to um, to function as a full orbed body. So part of the giftedness uh, is the the function of the pastor teacher or the shepherd uh, teacher, and their task is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So saying that. That means that counseling is not a, the job of the pastor uniquely. It is not the job of the pastor alone or the pastors alone. Everyone, according to Galatians chapter 6, who is spiritual, who has the Spirit of God, ought to be able to counsel the other believers. <clears throat> counseling is also a subcategory of discipleship. You should know Matthew 28, 19. What does it say? We are to make disciples. How do we make disciples? By, number one, teaching and baptizing. Those are the two ways that we make, uh, um, that we are supposed to be, uh, uh, in which or through which we are able to make um, uh, disciples. Now, 30 counseling is an element of teaching. So the canopy that Jesus gives is teaching and, and um, uh, baptism. Teaching there includes all forms of teaching. Admonishing one another is an aspect of teaching. So unlike secular humanism, 
who focuses on man, begins with man, tries to fix man's problem, biblical counseling, does not begin with man, but places the believer under the weight of the truth. So, beginning in your notes now, point one, Roman numeral one. There are eight truths which show why biblical nothetic counseling is unique and different from secular counseling. Number one, because the starting point is unique. The starting point is unique. As counselors, we begin with God and his word. I don't know if you have the quote by J.F. Hacker, but I will, uh, J. Adams, but I will read it. Adams says, quote, unlike the secular psychologists and psychiatrists who begin with man, look at the sufficiency within himself, that is man himself, <coughs> create a dependency on man, that is the counselor, and meds and provides no lasting hope, Nothetic counseling, on the other hand, begins with God's word. Counselors are to set the parameters or the standard for all counseling by means of the word, whether marriage, financial, relational, or major life decisions. We are not interested in human wisdom, but wisdom that comes from above, obviously which is derived from God's word. Our conviction is that the word of God is powerful. Where do we find that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's a two-edged sword. It is powerful to convict and penetrate the heart of man. Since God is true, what do we expect about his word? It is what? Also true. So you can trust it. Whatever the problem, whatever the trial, whatever the affliction, God's word is able to speak to that believer in it. All counseling uh, problems are tied in some way to how we think and relate to God. All forms of counseling, whether it's secular or theological or religious, uh, it relates to our understanding and our conviction about God. And if God is not in the picture, then our counseling will not include God in the picture. If God is the substance, the, the, the cause of all our uh, subsistence or our essence and uh, the one who sustains us in all things, then who do we look to for help? It is God. And by looking to his word, we display that we depend upon him. <clears throat> Counseling aims to point us to the path of righteousness, and that starts by pointing to his word. Psalm 119, David says that your uh, word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. B, it is unique because we point to God and the sufficiency of his word. Question, how are believers sanctified? Through? Okay, give me a verse. Through God's word, that is through. What verse? John 17, 17. Sanctify them, Jesus says, by thy word. Thy word is truth. So sanctification takes place by means of the word. It's not a thumbsuck. You don't sit and hope to be sanctified. God works through his word in your sanctification. Often believers are, I should say, often believers look for a quick fix for their problem. So it doesn't matter what the problem is, we just want out. 
Lord, deliver me. Lord, just remove this. Hebrews tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. Like a father for a short period of time disciplines his son. His love is expressed in his discipline. When we think of discipline, we only think of God harshly beating us. Um, Sometimes that is needed. Sometimes he has to pull out the whip. But other times it is God um, causing affliction in our life. Other times it is God... Um, removing his hand of grace for a short period of time, and we go through a tremendous amount of affliction. How do we find comfort uh, in those moments? How do we find peace in the midst of the, those trials? Second Peter chapter 1 <clears throat> says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has given to us everything that relates to life and godliness. Take note of the next clause. Through the knowledge of Him. That's how God has adequately provided for you in your affliction that, would, that could lead you to godliness and, and everything that relates to your life. It is through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You are not going to get to live a life of godliness apart from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, we depend upon God and the provision of hope in and through his word. Medical doctor Robert Smith, who is a believer, says, Since the basis of nearly every counseling problem is a doctrinal problem, a correct understanding of theology is essential for the biblical counselor. What does that mean for the counselor? If the basis of all our counseling problem is a, either a lack of understanding or a lack of appropriation of theology, theology, what does it mean for the believer who counsels? What does he need to know? The scripture. He needs to know theology. This uh, online as well, the second document is a systematic theology for biblical counselors. So it is uh, a synopsis of what systematic theology is, but relates specifically to uh, counseling. I encourage you to take that up and read it. Uh, Invest in your understanding of theology. Invest in your um, grasp of uh, the scripture. A robust theology will provide a believer with um, the sufficient knowledge he needs to be a proficient counselor. Is that one of our guys walking out there? Okay. Counseling, whether secular or Christian, is never a uh, theological, meaning never against or opposed to theology or without theology. Uh, Later on, you will see that every, next week, you will see that every system has a theology about God, a theology about man, a theology about sin, a theology about sanctification or how we change. Uh, Every system has that theology, and based upon that theology, we counsel people. We look to the scripture. Why? Because it is the hammer that crushes our pride, Jeremiah 23, uh, uh, 29 it is a double-edged sword that reveals a heart, Hebrews 4, 12. It is the mirror that shows us who we truly are, James 1, 23, 25. The scripture is sufficient to change us. 
Roman numeral two, number two. It is unique because the atmosphere or environment, you can choose either one, is unique. The atmosphere or environment is unique. We do not have to create an environment. You don't have to burn some incense, play some manipulating music, or um, you don't have to do anything to create an environment for somebody to feel comfortable to speak. There is already a relationship between you and the believer. Uh, this environment or this atf- atmosphere is seen in the following, following ways. A, the Holy Spirit is present and working in the believer's life. There is no greater ally than the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. God, sorry, God the Holy Spirit is not only present, but He takes the Word of God and applies it to the heart of the believer, convicting him of his sin, convicting her of the change that should take place. It is in Psalm 19, I believe. It's either verse, is it 4 or 5? I can't remember which verse it is, where David says, It is the law of the Lord that turns the heart, that converts the soul. It is God's word that is able to do that. But how is the word of God able to change the heart? When the spirit of God applies it to the heart and convicts that heart that something has to change. So believers need to understand that counseling is not successful because of what we do, but because of how the spirit works in the life of that believer. It is the Spirit of God that renews the believer, Titus 3, 5. It is the Spirit of God that produces Christ-like fruit in the life of the believer. We call it the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. B, the counselor or, um, and counselee relationship is not primary. In secular counseling, this is the most important time in your life or in your crisis. It is the time that you spend with this person, the counselor. <clears throat> this may sh- shock you, but as a Christian, your relationship with your counselor is not the primary li- relationship. What is the most important relationship to both of you? Your relationship with God, how you relate to God and how that believer relates to God. So counseling points us to our dependency on God, not the counselor. It drives us to a deeper devotion to God. When I say devotion, I'm talking about how you relate and walk with God. Unlike secular counseling, where uh, the professional becomes the most important person in counseling. I mentioned this earlier. Sadly, today, what has happened in even Christian counseling, counseling has moved to the task of the professional counselor. So it's only the pastor or those who have degrees uh, in counseling that can counsel. So in our context, it would be Peter, Don, and I, and maybe those in Berean, because they are studying counseling, who would be able to counsel. That is not true. Counseling ought to be the job of every mature believer, which means most of us, if we are mature, most of us should be able to counsel. We want believers to think uh, of their circumstances and, and themselves in terms of their most important relationship with God. 
in counseling and uh, in counseling uh, and the counselor must understand the following uh, points uh, so still under b there's uh, a few points i think i have three three points that i want to raise here number one there is a seriousness about counseling saints so i qualify counseling as counseling saints and in the third lesson I make a distinction between counseling believers and counseling unbelievers. Um, so let me mention this here, that I don't believe that there is an element of counseling from a believer's point of view that relates to unbelievers. So if you want to know what that means, come back in two weeks. Two weeks. Three weeks time. Um, you want to remind the believer, still under point one, <clears throat> that the one... As they are being counseled, they are also accountable before God and the what? Church. So if there's a lack of repentance and unwillingness to repent of sin, it is not only that they refuse to submit to God, but they refuse to repent before the church. So you want them to understand that this is not a long, drawn-up process where we work out every weed that has grown up in your life. No. If there is a need to call to repentance and they refuse to repent, what does Matthew 18 say? You take witnesses along. If they still refuse to repent, what happens? You tell it to the church. They need to understand that. This is not a long, ongoing, drawn-out process where um, you keep on going permanently. Uh, counselors do that. I'm talking about secular counselors do that because it pays. So you keep on putting them on meds and you keep on having them come back because there's always another issue. There, there's always a, an unresolved um, avenue. There, there's always someone else that uh, needs to be blamed. Number two, counseling is primarily between the counselee and God. Who is the greatest counsellor? The paraclete, who is the Holy Spirit. So understand that he comes alongside and not only helps us, but convicts us. So when they refuse the conviction, who are they rejecting? Not you as a counselor, but God, the Holy Spirit. So there is a seriousness about this counseling. You need to make them accountable to God. Secular counseling makes people accountable, accountable to themselves. How do you feel about it? Well, I don't care how you feel about it because your feelings don't matter. God's word matters in this matter. How do we counsel people, let me take a break, that deal with or have a struggle with anxiety? Question. How would you counsel a person that struggles with anxiety? Remind them of God's promises. Amen. Can you put a verse to it? You know it's going to come. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. If he cares so much for them, how much more would he not care for you? That, yeah, that's an interesting uh, verse there, Matthew, where he says, um, even if God, if he causes the sparrow to fall, that's the sense behind it. How much more will he not care for you? If he takes care of that sparrow, the lilies, and everything that grows in nature. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good uh, starting point. Uh, anything else? Yeah. 
Yes, that is true. Where do we find that? Philippians 4. Turn to Philippians 4. This is important. What I want to show you here is that God's word is adequate to meet every, what we call emotional needs, which I take out. Um, It's a spiritual need. So listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Do not be anxious. What is that? It's a command. So stop being anxious is the sense of the verb there. Stop acting anxiously. So do not be anxious about anything. Oh my goodness. That's concerning. If you like me and it gets to the end of the month, you know, you know what's going to happen. And you start to worry, oh my goodness, where am I going to get the bread money from this week? Stop worrying about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Take note of this. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It is not just the fact that you tell them, stop being anxious. That is not counseling. That's not helpful. But he tells them how to stop. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So instead of having anxiousness in your heart, what do you replace it with? Thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord for your circumstance. Doesn't matter what it is. So be thankful to Him. Let your request be made known to God. Speak to Him about your anxiousness. But look up at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. That is so, so important. Look at the net result of that. Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses, which goes beyond, which overflows um, uh, 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 all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What replaces the anxiety? When you go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, what does He give you in exchange? You're giving me your angst. You're giving me your worry. What do I give you? My peace. And what does it do? It overwhelms your heart to such a degree that the anxiety is no longer present, but you depend upon Him. You are thankful to Him. It will guard your heart, the protective layer the antidote, the, the cause that dispels anxiety in that moment is what? The peace of God. But you have to do something. Run to Him in prayer. God's Word is sufficient for every, quote-unquote, emotional, spiritual problem that we have. I get back to counseling, in the sec, uh, to, to counseling anxiety in the second half of my class. So this is the first half. This is um, lectures 1 through 7. So when I get through 9 through uh, 18, I will deal with um, particular aspects of counseling. So that's not all that there is to um, anxiety. We must help people understand that their help is in God. It's not in you as the counselor. 
you are not the guru of counseling or the genie that have all the answers because you don't. But God does. Sometimes the counselor can create the idea that you need me. And even biblical counselors get themselves into trouble when um, I remember a situation just a few years ago where a guy was counseling a married woman who was going through a hardship with her husband and there was a dependency that was created between the woman or the, the counselor and the believer and what happens is that she did not just need him for the counseling she needed him in her marriage and so she left the husband and he left his wife and now permanently counsels her yes you don't want that you don't want them to see you as the solution to the problem you want always to point to God and His Word as a solution to their problems. Number three, counseling helps saints to see life's trials, hardships, and afflictions through the lens of God's sanctifying work. Affliction is not your enemy. Hardship and trials is not God's anger at you. Remember what God said about Job to Satan? Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth. Wow. That's a commendation of righteousness. And yet what does God do? By all means, devil, go for it. Have your way, just don't kill him. Don't take his life. It wasn't God's punishment on, of Job. It was God's display of Job's faith in God that was taking place. Did God ever explain to Job what is happening? No. Does God ever have to explain to us what is happening? No. Shall the potter, shall the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Never. Never. God's work in trials is not your enemy. I'm not saying that you have to have this grin on your face whenever you're going through hardship and affliction. Mm, this is good. Thank you, Lord. No, that is fake. What I'm saying is that you need to come to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good, which includes hardship and affliction, comes from a loving, gracious, and faithful Father. Every gift. So difficulties are part of God's plan for our life to mature our faith, our character, and deepen our trust in Him. Our goal must be to point people to God. Not that God will lift the circumstance, but will lift them up in the circumstance. Big difference. Number three, those you counsel are unique. They are not unregenerate sinners. Your counselors are saints, not sinners. So I'm not going to turn to it, but First Corinthians 1, uh, 2 verse 2 says that God has set them apart. They are set apart, sanctified, uh, set aside to God. It is important that counselors understand that they are not unregenerate sinners, but regenerate Sinners saved by grace. What is the constant carryover? They are no longer unregenerate, but they are still sinners. 
they are still uh, tempted and will still sin. So, what this means is that they don't live in a life of unrepentant sin. They are able to and should desire to repent of their sin. So we counsel those who are sanctified by God. Number two, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Oh, sorry, they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Why is this important? Because it's the presence of the Spirit that enables what? Change. Without the Spirit, there is no way that the person that you counsel is ever able to change his or hers life. <clears throat> B, um, I don't think I put this in your notes. The Holy Spirit leads the believer to change. Romans 8, 14 and Galatians 5, 16 and 25. So wherever he leads, there is hope of change. B, the believers or they are capable of change. I've mentioned this before. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 Paul demonstrates expectation <coughs> of this change. You should know this by heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. There is a change in life. You're no longer who you used to be, and you don't live the way that you used to be. Then must be a change. There's an expectation of change. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In the section that deals with the application of theology, listen to verse 20. But this is not how you learned uh, Christ. And he's speaking about living a callous, unrepentant, sensual life that is given to all kinds of impurity. He says that this is not how you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him, meaning that you have been changed by him and were taught in him as the truth is in, in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt <coughs> through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Later on, he explains what this change will look like for a thief or a liar. <coughs> Uh, point one under B, we, because of this, they being capable, capable of change, do not give up on our counselors. So one thing that secular counseling has in their favor, which is actually a negative, is that they never give up on their counselors because the counselees always come back. They never give up on them, but they always want them to come back. Why? Because it pays to have them come, come back. Now, it doesn't mean that they, they don't really care about the person. It doesn't mean that they don't want to help the person. Uh, psychology and psychiatrists, psychologists and psychiatrists, some of them do genuinely want to help. Uh, but the sad reality is they don't have the answer to people's problems. They don't. Uh, change is difficult 
but in the believer's life can take time. So sanctification is not a straight trajectory. It's not a straight line. There are humps and bumps in the believer's life, and that is good. It goes up and down, and that is part of growing. Uh, God has not put us uh, in the atmosphere of perfection. Not yet. We are not perfected yet, so we will struggle. So you don't give up on them. You constantly encourage them to do um, the will of God. Number two, we expect change because God expects change. Sing Corinthians. I love this passage. Um, one of my favorite passages. Chapter 3. There is no such thing as I can't. When it comes to sanctification and change, God not only expects us to change, but enables us to change. Look at verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, that is passive. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, that is the change, comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is God who enables us to become more like Christ. The more you behold Him, the more you become like Him. Look at Philippians chapter 2. You want to insist on change. Uh, it's in your notes. I'm going to read it from the ESV and then I'm going to read it to you from my translation 2.13. <clears throat> Notice what it says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <clears throat> I translated the it this way, it is God who is producing in you both the willingness and the ability to do the things that pleases Him, that captivates the force of the Word, both to will and to work. It is God who produces the desire and the ability. It's not you. So then, having said that, do not put up with, I can't. This is just not me. Or even, I'm too old. You can't teach new tricks to old dogs. Hilton, to saying. <clears throat> you don't know how hard my life is. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. No hinting, Auntie Judy. Big smile. I see that face. <laughs> no. You insist on change because God enables the believer to change. He expects the believer to change. We, we put up with older saints saying, I'm not doing it. It's just, no, I'm too old. We put up with those who are weak and crumbling under the weight of the trial that I just can't. And it feels like our hands are tied. Uh, we put up with, it's, this is just who I am. So are you saying that God's power ends at this stage in your life that he's not able to change you? Is this outside the realm of the arm of God? 
So it doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your circumstances. Are you saying that God is incapable of changing you in this situation? Because that is what you're saying by saying, I can't. This is beyond change. This is, I am just too old. In saying that, you're saying to God, don't bother. I'm okay. Leave me alone. See, they can understand the Bible. Don't put up as a counselor with, I just don't get it. The Holy Spirit is present in counseling, and if he's present in the life of that person, he brings the conviction and the understanding of what that sin is and the repentance that needs to take place regarding that sin. This is not just a... When it comes to using the Bible, it's not a tick-off. You know, it's not a, another box to check. Oh, I've read that passage and that is good enough. You want them to become dependent on the words of God for the change that God can bring about through the word of God. Okay, I'm going to pause there since we have uh, eight minutes left. Any questions? I'm going to jump down to one part of something that we have to avoid in our language as counselors, and then I will, um, I will call... Let me just make a note. Okay, and I will call it quits. Any questions, comments? No. Okay, so jump down to your section on point five. Roman numeral five. Because your methods, yes. Um, so all that we are being told now is for believers only for counseling. And so it says, um, guide them and counsel them from the Bible. Because if they are unbelievers, they could be Yep. So, say for an unbeliever, okay, for someone who professes to be a believer and will talk about getting into God's word for counseling, and you get a response like, you know, too late or that kind of attitude, mm -hmm. and you go through God's word and encourage from God's word, but there's resistance because you maybe don't understand okay. their situation. Do you then assume that the person? So, two things. One who is a professing believer and one who is not a believer. Right? So, the, um, th there's two different people. So, one who is a professing believer, you go on the profession. But if it becomes clear that they are not a believer, what do you do? You share the gospel. <laughs> Call your husband. <laughs> Call a friend. Now, you, you... And if a person is in a church, committed to uh, church life, and demonstrates... Uh, that they are serious about their walk with Christ. Uh, you treat them as a believer. But if they make a profession, but there's no signs of life, you treat them as an unbeliever. So you start with the gospel. All the counseling that you're going to do is not going to make sense or it's not applicable to them because there's no spirit that enables them to change. So all you're doing is making a, a better child of hell. Make sense? Yeah. You're just making a, a sinner who thinks better about himself, um, which is no different to um, secular counseling. Any other questions? It's a good question. Yes, sir. Just a comment on that. That is one of the wonderful things about just coming back to the Bible mm. is you will inevitably end up sharing some gospel Amen. with the person. Yep, yep, that is true. 
Um, so let me mention this and then we can get back to this next week. Something that we have to get out of our um, language is the substitute language. We allow psychology to creep into our language uh, and for counselors, we need to set it aside. <clears throat> for instance, some, some of us speak about the subconscious. Subconscious, subconscious. Um, you've heard this before and you may have used it again. Oh, I did that subconsciously. Okay, find that word in the Bible. Show me what subconscious means. It's not a biblical model. And, and, and uh, when I get to um, uh, secular counseling next week, if we get to it, um, I will point out the, the cause or the source of why people believe that. Secondly, uh, the softening of language, drunken, drunkenness under substitute language becomes alcoholism. Call it what it is. Use biblical language. Fornication becomes free-spirited or sexually active. No. They fornicators. And biblically, if you understand uh, um, uh, holotry, they are harlots. That's what the Bible says. Anybody that is active outside the realm of the marriage bond is a what? Harlot. Use biblical language. Thieves becomes kleptomaniacs. No, no. There's no such thing. We need to stop using euphemisms. They are sinners who are stealing. Liberators, one I heard. Disobedient, undisciplined children, something that I've heard quite a lot. Disobedient, undisciplined children becomes ADD, ADHD, or they have behavioral challenges. Hmm. No, they don't. They are disobedient. Are there kids who have um, struggles? Sure, there are kids who have struggles. Um, there are those who have mental problems, and I'll, I'll deal with that later on. But for the most part, the source of their problem is not their mind, it is their heart. It is not their brain, I should say. It is their heart. Okay, so I'm going to leave it at that. We will get back to point, where are we? C, right? No, four, four. So um, Aaron will let me know that we are on point four next week. You have a few minutes uh, a break, and then we will resume with our preaching hour after this. Thank you.